Welcome to another episode of Talking with Apples. Today, we'll be talking about Android architecture components. And my guest is Florina Montanescu, an Android engineer, part of the developer relations team at Google. This is a pretty exciting topic. And yeah, welcome, Florina. Thank you. Thank you for having me, PJ. Uh, yeah, architecture and architecture components are some of my favorite topics. So I can't wait to chat with you about it. Awesome. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of just start off with architecture components. What is it? I think this is um, something that is, I think, still very new in the Android world. It was, I think, maybe about like two, three years ago um, where the Android team just announced it at Google I.O. And everybody was like, OK, this, is, this seems pretty cool. Um, so maybe for those people that don't know what architecture components are, maybe you can just tell us what it actually is. <laughs> yeah, so uh, architecture components is a set of libraries that's supposed to make your uh, your life building Android apps easier. So um, it allows you to easily work with databases, for example. We have a library called Room to help with that. Uh, it allows you to easier work, uh, for example, with UI. So you could use view models as a way to uh, handle UI logic for your UI. Um, it allows an easier way to work with lifecycle. It creates a lifecycle aware component and so on. So like, actually, I think right now the set of architecture component libraries has grown quite a lot because uh, navigation would also be part of it, work manager, um, maybe Hilt as well. Yeah. And now I think more and more like libraries, uh, like data store, for example, I would also consider them as part of architecture components. Uh, so I think in the end, architecture components is just a, a subset of all the Jetpack libraries that we have out there. Oh, and by the way, uh, time flies. I think we released them four years ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that it literally feels like it was just the other day that, right? we, that we got yeah. these. And now all of a sudden it's four years yeah, right. For, yeah. for me too, as well. Like I had to count, wait, I think it's more. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was, I was like three, two, I was like, oh, I wasn't really sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, but maybe you can tell us why these were created. I think like um, Android has had many libraries out there um, um, that does a lot for people in terms of like, let's say their specific architecture um, <laughs> And people have been doing their own architectures for a number of years. They've been choosing if it was MVP or MVVM or some kind of other mm -hmm. random architecture. Um, but wh why, why were these libraries created to help us with architecture? Yeah, so maybe the name our architecture components can be a little bit misleading because if you think about something like Room, which is a library that uh, targeted to help you write database operations easier or to work with database in general easier, then that doesn't feel like it has so much to do with architecture. Uh, but I think in general, each of these libraries uh, was made to allow us to be lazy, to allow us to write less code. Mm. Um, I think the example that I, I like to give is around Room. So um, you can work with database in Android by just using directly SQLite. But the problem with this is that you end up having to write quite a lot of code. Um, and like 
a lot of code to create queries, to read data, for example, from the database to create your database, um, and so on. While Room just does that for you. And then all you have to do is to define the data that needs to be in the uh, database. So you define your entities for your tables, for example, and you just write your specific queries to access the data in the database. But then the actual implementation of the query and the actual, you know, working with um, what is it all the cursors and stuff that uh, SQL uh, works with, you don't no, no longer need to care about that. Um, it gives you type safety because you already know uh, what kind of data you're saving and you're reading from the database. So you no longer have you know, all of these like get string kind of stuff. And I think, you know, the room is one example, but if we think about other libraries like uh, navigation, when you try to navigate in your app between a, one screen to another, that's again a lot of boilerplate code that you would have to write for each application. So the role of the navigation library is to simplify this, to simplify the way you do the navigation, but also to integrate with the tools like Android Studio, that's anyway something that's common, part of uh, our work as Android developers. And yeah just tries to make things easier. Um, yeah, and I think I could just talk about each library on the row and, uh, and say yeah, what yeah. they do, but that's the idea. We just, each library tries to make things easier for that specific topic that it handles. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I remember back in the days um, having to do databases with cursors. Um, I think that was probably some of the worst <laughs> experiences I've had. And then when Room came out and everything was like super easy, um, you just put some SQL queries at the top. I mean, mm -hmm. now it's even more sophisticated where it has like um, autocomplete and stuff like that. Yes, exactly. Um, and like, so that I think that makes it a lot easier for um, Android developers to maybe get started and actually create these type of, um, let's say, um, components um, mm -hmm. as part of their, their specific application. Um, so yeah. that's really, really cool. And I've also realized that when working with some of the architecture components, let's say, um, I've noticed that they're very focused on being Kotlin first. Oh, yeah. Um and I'm and I think I think that's obviously with Kotlin being now kind of like a first I would say first class citizen for Android. Um mm -hmm. why well why is it more Kotlin first? Why why that approach? Mm -hmm. Um yeah, then yeah. or is or is some of the libraries just not targeted anymore for um Java engineers? Ooh, yeah, I have I have all sorts <laughs> of answers for everything. Um <laughs> yeah, so I think what was it like? Three, four years ago, we announced that uh, indeed Kotlin is also one of the, the languages that we're supporting. And then I think two years ago, we said that uh, we're going Kotlin first. So what, what going Kotlin first meant for these libraries is that um, we are building from the ground up thinking about developers that are using Kotlin. So for example, I don't know, in the platform, we did add stuff like the annotations, the nullability annotations. So this means that developers that were using those in Kotlin could get some of these benefits. But uh, when it comes to things that are really, I don't know, native, really idiomatic Kotlin, at, 
at that point, we didn't really have that. So uh, now we have libraries like Paging or Data Store that are really from the ground up written in Kotlin. So, uh, for example, with Paging, coroutines are like the backbone of, of Paging. So everything like under the hood is written using coroutines, uh, similar for Data Store, actually, like all the... Uh, everything that comes uh, that uh, is related to asynchronous work is built using coroutines. So this is what actually Kotlin first means. That we uh, we do have these like some KTX artifacts. So you know these artifacts that allow us to have more idiomatic way of uh, working with uh, the APIs in Kotlin. But when it comes to paging, for example, that's already there. You don't you no longer need to add you know like a dash KTX necessarily, but uh, that doesn't mean that we are abandoning folks that are still using the Java programming language. So this is why libraries like uh, Room, uh, sorry, uh, not just Room, but Paging, apart from the um, coroutine support, we will also have uh, support for RxJava because we know that a lot of developers are using RxJava. But then, because uh, I was mentioning Room before, was because I was thinking of what Room supports. Um, so yeah. when we started the... Um, uh, building room and thinking about asynchronous work, I think the first thing we did was uh, we exposed the live data so you could do asynchronous queries using uh, live data. But then uh, we also added RxJava support because a lot of developers were using RxJava. And then we also added coroutine support because a lot of folks use uh, coroutines. But yeah, we want to go more and more in this idea of building first for developers that are using Kotlin. And then, uh, while a lot of these libraries can still be used in uh, from the Java programming language, um, an exception here would actually be uh, Compose, because Compose is also written in Kotlin, but uh, this wouldn't be a library that you'd be able to use if you're still using the Java programming language. Yeah, I think that's how the, the Kotlin first approach works. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course. Because um, I, th I think I think at the end of the day, um, obviously having a lot more things in Kotlin, I guess it makes it easier for them all to like kind of plug together like Lego blocks. Um, and the APIs become a lot more familiar, the way things are mm -hmm. being um, written. Um, and like you said, um, you want more idiomatic Kotlin to be... Yes. Uh, what 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 developers are writing instead of mm -hmm. just maybe having nullability and having the annotations and stuff yeah. like that um, on the APIs. Yeah, actually, to give you an example, so when I first started using the the Paging three library, the one that's written using coroutines, so I had to do some network call, and then there I had I was using retrofit and suspend functions, and then I was like, okay, let's see how paging works, and I was writing my uh, uh, my paging code, and I didn't even realize that oh, I actually called a suspend function. That's because the library was providing uh, an, an interface that I had to implement that, that was also using a suspend function. So everything was just so easy to use, so natural. And then I was like, oh, this just worked, you know? And it's that kind of yeah. I don't know, magic that I like from architecture components. Yeah, yeah. I think it just makes it a lot more seamless. And I think mm -hmm. when you, you kind of have an application 
that already has, let's say, something like coroutine um, supporting it or using it for your your um, your specific network calls, <laughs> and now you want to use this paging library, it kind of just fits in where you don't yeah. have to think about it um, in terms mm-hmm. of, oh, do I need to do anything extra in order for this to actually work, um, yeah. which is really, really cool. I want to say that not even that. So um, actually, another library that I like is Data Store. So the Data Store is a replacement for share preferences. Um, but there, you know, like you were, you had to somehow work with an API that was a little bit, you know, clumsy, and it wasn't really, you know, doing asynchronous work as it promised. Um, but then when using um, a data store, then you're just using a flow and that just feels natural. And, you know, and then you kind of realize that different components that you're using, like, I don't know, the network calls, you're using a retrofit with coroutines. Then for databases, you can use room with coroutines. And then for um, these kind of share preferences for small amount of data, you're using data store also with a uh, with flow so like yeah everything just nicely works together yeah definitely um and i definitely want to go into two things that you mentioned which is data store and also something that you mentioned earlier on which is live data but i also just wanted to say which is which is really really nice is that the fact that um there is still rx java support um Mm -hmm. because i think a lot of applications before uh i guess Kotlin um, came along and helped us with coroutines. A lot of people yeah. were using RX Java yeah. to um, to to do some network calls, which is it's it's. I know there's a lot of people that say um, it's obviously using a massive library for only network calls, but I mean, um, and that's kind of not what it's supposed to be used for. But I mean, a lot of people were using those schedulers, um, and that's kind of like was just the reality of of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with coroutines, obviously having a dedicated asynchronous library. Um, makes that a lot better um, than using something like um, like RX Java if you're just going to be using it for the network calls. Um, but the support from these libraries um, makes it really, really awesome uh, that there are kind of there is support for all of this, um, which is which is really really nice. Um, but yeah, I, I really wanted to jump into one of the things that you mentioned, which was live data um, and definitely also maybe um, view model. Um, mm-hmm. Well, what were the purpose of, of these two um, these two components? Because I think these are the two components that kind of have been the the ones that kind of make up, let's say, architecture as as we say it, um, that kind of help us with a specific architectural problem. Yeah. Uh, so I'll start with uh, with live data. So um, live data is a data holder that is lifecycle aware. So this means that. Uh, you can put a value in this data holder and then um, you'll be automatically notified when that value has changed. And then um, it's lifecycle aware because it means that only when the observer is, um, let's say, alive, so uh, it's part of a lifecycle, then it will actually be notified. So, for example, if... um, your activity is being recreated, and that's exactly the time when you're setting a value to that live data, because um, the activity is not, uh, I don't know, is not alive. It's not uh, in the started state. Um, it's actually, I think, stopped. Then it won't be notified. So it means that only once the activity is, has finished recreating, it will read that latest value. 
But what's important, I think, to remember with uh, live data is that it was never meant to be a stream of data. It was never meant to replace things like RxJava. I mean, RxJava is extremely powerful and has a lot of operators. Um, and if you look at live data, it only has something like a, a basic, uh, some basic operators, like I think this thing something changed and map and switch map. Um, uh, but its role is actually just to be a lifecycle aware data holder. Um, and I think, I think, uh, for example, I think you were kind of talking about like how, maybe how do you use or where do you use uh, live data? I think that would be a next topic because you're mentioning view models as well. So yeah. what I like about live data is that, you know, it's lifecycle aware. So it works really well when you're connecting it to an activity or a fragment. But then um, it doesn't work that well when you're trying to react on uh, data that has changed somewhere in the background and do also an, an action in the background. So let's say that, I don't know, every time you're inserting some data in the database, you want to uh, set some log in your analytics. That's that kind of like setting a log. That's that shouldn't be done with uh, live data because that's not a lifecycle aware thing. That's something that you know, should just happen independent of it. So that's why I think live data should be used really on the UI layer. But then on the data layer, I think you should use something like, um, like Flow or RxJava observable. And then in the view model, the view model to be that connection point between your, let's say, I don't know, business or data layer and your activity or fragment. And then that view model should do this, you know, I think it's like flow as live data uh, function that allows you to convert from one to another. Another kind of like downside of live data is that this notification of changes is always going to happen on the main thread. So this means that you know, you're putting a value in live data and then I said someone is observing it. Well, that observing always happens on the main thread. So this means that if you want to do another action that somehow run in the background or do maybe afterwards of something like a map on it, uh, I think all of those happen on the main thread. So it's like this kind of like gotcha that, oh, wait. So this means that the work that I'm doing there should really be, you know, like ready to be displayed on the UI rather than something that, oh, then I have to do something else that actually is also maybe long running. That's the kind of uh, work that Flow would be would be perfect for. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I talked a lot. Yeah, um, is there yeah. anything else that uh, that I should uh, I should <laughs> add for live data? No, no, no. I think I think that's perfect, and I think um, that that's actually uh, something that I I saw even on Twitter. I think a lot of people were talking about it at some point where um, they were saying that um, some people were, were seeing, I don't know, some samples or something that, that had um, some, some live data. And I think, I think you've explained it, almost debunked the myth yeah. of, of what live data should be used for. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think, I think people were using it maybe a little bit incorrectly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, like you mentioned, I think something that's really um, critical there is that live data does run on the main thread. Um, and you kind of don't really want that when you're doing some kind of asynchronous work mm -hmm. um, to be bringing back data and then yeah. um, you should be able to display um, that data somewhere or, or at least stream it somewhere like mm -hmm. to your view model. Um, it shouldn't yeah. be streaming through that live data property. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think another question that we get quite often is whether are we deprecating live data? Um, <laughs> and yeah. I would say that's definitely not the case. Um, first of all, well, for multiple reasons. Um, well, for Kotlin users, uh, that's because right now, you know, flow or state flow aren't really life aren't lifecycle aware. So until that is happening, then we definitely won't deprecate live data. But also because as much as we love Kotlin, we are aware that there are, uh, that there are still a lot of uh, uh, Java developers out there, and we still need to have a recommendation for for Java developers for the for the UI layer. So yeah, if you can't use coroutines, then what do you use? Actually, we've been discussing this quite a lot in in our team. Like, okay, what should we recommend? What would be best? Uh, you know, it's like, what would you use in terms of asynchronous work on the data layer? Should it be just threads? Should it be, I don't know, RxJava? <laughs> Should it be something else? Um, so I would get, I would say that the best answer there is whatever you already have in your application and then migrate to Kotlin. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think, I think, I think that's a great answer. Um, hopefully Java developers don't give yeah. us too much hate on that. Um, but I mean, I think, I think something that you even mentioned there was recommendation. And I think, I think that's something that's quite important. I think there was a time, uh, probably since Android one <laughs> or Android, I guess two, whatever, whenever it came, um, whenever, um, developers started developing for Android, um, at, Google kind of didn't really want to give any recommendations. They said, kind of go out there, build your application. We're giving you the tools. We're giving you the platform and make your own decisions. Um, and I think that probably became really, really hard as things kind of like, I guess, developed um, over the years and stuff like that. And now we have architecture components and this is kind of a recommended um, approach uh, for doing architecture, but also doing a whole bunch of other things. But obviously, when looking at the docs, also you guys always say that I think I think it's just a situation of don't you if you already have something in your application, then then kind of just stick with it. Um, mm -hmm. You don't have to change everything to architecture components. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas, whereas obviously, um, these are our recommended way. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think I don't like. So before joining Google, I worked in startups, and then to be honest, as a startup developer, and I think as most developers that work on products, your role is to actually ship features, right? And to probably fix yeah. the bugs. So, you know, all of this like, oh, should I use this fancy new library? That's that's more of a, you know, a, another, like an extra thought that can improve indeed the qu code quality. So I would say that developers should first make sure that uh, they are able to build the features that they I know they need for the company. So um, I don't know if you have a module, for example, that you haven't touched in years, because I don't know, nobody, that thing works, nobody needs to update it. Then why do you need to refactor it to use, I don't know, Kotlin, for example, or to use RxJava? <laughs> um, if that works, then that's great. Then let's focus on the things that we actually need to build. And maybe there we can try to introduce um, these new, new functionalities or new libraries. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely, I definitely agree with this pragmatic approach. Um, use also only what you think uh, you need. 
Um, so yeah, if if your solution works, then maybe there is no need for uh, for architecture component solutions. But uh, I do hope that uh, the libraries that we have, you know, provide or allow you to write less boilerplate code, and you know, like. It's already code that is tested, that is work that works. So you can focus on that new feature that you have to build. Yeah, and I think I think that's awesome because especially with new developers coming into um, into the ecosystem, uh, I think it makes it a lot easier for them to write code that let's say is a little bit more maintainable, more testable, instead mm -hmm. of just kind of writing, I don't know, a 1000 line activity, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of not safe. Um, I, I even remember a project that I did, I don't even know, like maybe like seven years ago, and I even tried to refactor it and it was almost impossible. Um, you just kind of end up just rewriting it uh, mm -hmm. because it doesn't make any sense. But I mean, mm -hmm. with these architecture components, it just makes it easier for you to even mm -hmm. just I guess develop or um, or actually just get to a point where the the application is like like I said the code is more maintainable mm -hmm. and testable. Exactly. Um, and I think that that might be the approach also. Yeah, and that's why uh, you know what we're providing is more you know guidance. Uh, that's why I think our, our guide to app architecture, I know it's a is just a guide. It's uh, maybe a set of best practices that we recommend rather than, you know, like this is how you should do it. Um, you know, yeah. it's something that we consider, uh, that would be good. Similar. I think we, you meant, you were mentioning view models, uh, before, you know, uh, yes, view models are definitely our recommended way of, uh, of, uh, architecting your UI layer. But then if you already have presenters, for example, in your application and that works and you never need to anyway touch that, I know that activity of your app, then just uh, continue using it. Um, yeah. And also I think, you know, there are so many apps out there and so many problems that developers need to solve that it's hard to find, you know, like one, one solution that fixes absolutely everything. And I think that's why, you know, it's a guidance. It's not something that we know, oh, my God, this will work in absolutely every case. Yeah, mm. yeah. Because I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of, there's obviously a lot of new architectures that people are coming out with. I know that um, MVI has become quite popular amongst a lot of people. Uh, and, I mean, that kind of doesn't really um, always fit in with, with how architecture components works. Uh, so you have to kind of write all that boilerplate code mm -hmm. Um, upfront for yourself, or I don't know, you build some kind of script that like templates it for you, um, which is, <laughs> which might be nice. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I think, I think these libraries, um, are there for a reason. And I think they obviously just make developers' lives a lot easier. So I'm, I'm all for them. Um, I think it's great. Um, and I think it's great that they're there, especially for, um, new Android engineers coming into, um, the developer market. Um, so that's awesome. And then I kind of just wanted to, yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry. What I wanted to say is that what I like is that, you know, you can pick and choose. Like, I don't know, if um, navigation is something that you have a problem with in your app, then you just need to use navigation. You don't need to use everything else. Or if the database is the only part where, you know, like things could get better in your app, then you just use room. So the fact that, you know, they're, they're not dependent on one another is, is really good. Yeah, I think that's actually a very good point. Like, um, 
you we don't realize it. You don't have to use all of it all at once together. I think if you just want to use Room, you can just use Room. Um, if you want to use um, the paging library, you can just use the paging library. You, you don't have that like interdependency where where I don't know you might need to if you I don't, I, I can't even think of an example <laughs> at the moment in time. But like yeah, we just get kind of dependent on all these other things that depend on each mm -hmm. other. Um, yeah. I think the independentness of each of these components is really, really amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh, thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of wanted to just jump into um, another thing that you mentioned previously, which was the, the data store, data store mm -hmm. shared preferences. And I think this is something that I wasn't expecting, to be honest, uh, when it got released, because I mean, shared preferences have been there for a very long time. And I think... It's 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 just one of those things that you kind of just got used to, and you thought like, ah, oh, nothing's ever get like nothing's gonna happen to this. We just have to use it the way it is, and then like data store drops, and we're like, okay, well, this is nice. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a great API. Um, where where did that come from? Like, um, yeah, I think I think it's something that's so awesome, but like I I, I just wasn't expecting um mm -hmm. a new library for something like shared preferences. <laughs> yeah, so. Um... I think in, actually internally in Google, they've been seeing all of these like disadvantages of shared preferences. So, you know, like the fact that um, the API has this like, what is it like commits and um, <laughs> that wasn't fully asynchronous. And like, I remember I always had to check like the documentation to see, wait, is it synchronous method or asynchronous method right now? Which one should I be calling? <laughs> and you're calling the one that's like asynchronous thinking that, okay, something is going to be done on the background thread, but actually that action yeah. is, because in the end it's, what it does is saves a value in a, in a file. That saving of a value is actually done when, uh, what is it, when an activity or um, a service is uh, started or recreated. So this means that, you know, something that you thought, oh, I'm not doing on the main thread, it's actually still done on the main thread, just that you don't know about it, it's done at a later time. It's like, you know, we're swiping under the rug, something. Um, yeah, so, and then uh, afterwards, you know, you had all of those, like, put string and, you know, like, reading the string, and I don't know about you, but I know that I've been copy-pasting lines and then just changing the keys and then realizing, whoops, I wrote string instead of Boolean now. Um, yeah. And yeah, like this lack of uh, type safety, I think, was really painful for developers as well. Um, so actually, uh, the project started uh, internally in Google uh, by using uh, Proto, like Protobufs, uh, as a replacement yeah. for shared preferences. And because this worked really well, we decided, or the team decided that, hey, this is something that's worth uh, being part of Jetpack and uh, making it available as well for for everyone. So right now we actually have two different implementations of uh, Data Store. One is Preferences and one is Proto Data Store. So they both do the same thing. They allow you to save small chunks of data. Um, on disk, so under the hood, they both use a use a file. Just that the way they do it is uh, different. So preferences data store is actually very similar to shared preferences, with the idea that you still use this key value pair, uh, but it has yes. nothing to do with shared preferences. It's not a migration of shared preferences. It's a completely new implementation. Uh, that even the the class preference is a class that's from the data store package. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, actually under the hood, it still uses uh, protobufs. So it's using protobufs to serialize the data and uh, save it in a file. Um, and then the proto data store there, you're able to write your own protobuf uh, to to save the data. So this means that you no longer have you know this key value pair that's in the end quite restrictive, but rather you can write your own objects. And to be honest, when I heard about it, like was like oh protobufs, I was a bit skeptical. I have to admit, mm. but then when I started using it, I realized that oh. This isn't actually that complicated, and it was so easy. So I remember, like, I was using it um, to store an enum. Like, what would you do with an enum? You would probably save something like I don't know, like a the name as a string, what in a key value pair, or maybe you would save an, a number like zero, one, two uh, values for it. But then with Proto Data Store, you literally just save that value of the enum. So this type safety for me was was really nice. And then, again, what shared preferences didn't have, <clears throat> there, was a, there wasn't really a good way to get notified when something changed in shared preferences. But uh, data store, both preferences and proto data store, just expose, it, expose a flow. And this means that you can easily, you're just notified whenever that data store changed. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, think I, I, I feel I can talk about data store uh, for know, <laughs> half an hour more. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's really really awesome because I remember um, back in the days even like trying to use um, shared preferences. I think for like settings that was kind of like the recommend yeah. so that like a mm -hmm. recommended. And then I think there were like these random like functions. Um, I can't even remember what they call where you could you could kind of like observe and it would let you know when something's changed or you would pull some data um, from the shared preferences so that you could like have these <laughs> settings and stuff. Um, and yeah, I think I think that was maybe. Just a an API that people just kind of were like, cool, um, we'll live with it. And now we, we kind of have something really, really awesome. Like you mentioned, like um, the, these protobuf um, like APIs that pretty much have something mm -hmm. like flow at the end of it. And we can kind of just like pretty much like observe um, yeah. on them, which is really, really cool. Um, and protobufs does, um, I was also very surprised because protobufs is sometimes a very complicated um, mm -hmm. thing where like all this binary um, structures and whatever. And I'm like, okay, cool. This seems a little bit complicated. Um, but it seems like the API is, is really, really nice in order mm -hmm. for you to just um, kind of use it like straight out of the box. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really, really nice. Yeah, actually, um, now that you're, you're mentioning it, there was one thing I wanted to say about uh, all of the architecture components. Um, I, what I think is really important that they're built, I think, together with the community. So for all of them, we listen to where there are problems, and then we try to address the problems that the developers um complained about so uh i know the the need for room was because developers uh, we knew that developers wanted a, an easier way to work with databases but also when it comes to the features so um uh, for example for data store developers are telling us that oh this is great but I'm using Java, so what do I need to do now? So now we're adding uh, RxJava support for data store, or similar with data stores, developers tell us that, yeah, yeah, but I was using the, what is it, the encrypted share preferences. How about that? So then we make sure that um, that's something that's really high on, um, on our you know, roadmap. 
that we get to do as soon as possible. Um, similar, like the the engineering team is really trying to address the issues that are created for architecture components, uh, you know, as as quickly as possible, uh, or maybe they don't get addressed, uh, but they do get noticed. Um, and actually, another thing that I like uh, is that. Before these libraries are launched, before they're even in alpha, uh, we actually work with um, our um, user experience research team. And then uh, together with them, we find developers all around the world that give us feedback on these libraries. And they really shape the shape the features, shape the API that we provide. Uh, they I don't know, tell us about the issues that are uh, things that would have been expected to to happen. Um, so yeah, I think this feedback cycle is is really important for us, and we we try to listen to developers as much as we can. Yeah, I think I think that's that's something that's really really great, and we can kind of like see it in these architecture components. I think um, people were asking so much like. Can please give us a recommendation for, um, let's say, for an architecture for Android? Um, we kind of just don't want to really build um, our own way of doing it. And we don't really know, let's say, if you're starting out and you're a beginner, I don't really know how to um, write like maintainable code or um, or this testable code that people are talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and I think obviously... The, the, these components are making it a lot easier for developers to to kind of get a handle on specific things, and I think that community feedback is really really important. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's I mean I think the architecture components now are open sourced. Um, are they? Yeah, some some of the not all of them, but uh, some libraries are yeah. indeed open source. Uh, I can't remember exactly the full list. I know for sure that Broom is open source. I actually know that uh, we got quite a substantial contribution for uh, for Broom for the last release from someone from the community. So yeah, uh, please, I know, like you and your audience, <laughs> please check out the the GitHub project of Android X and yeah, help improve it. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's even something that's really awesome. Like taking it from um, this thing where you recommend um, the, these libraries, and then to to giving the developers the opportunity to actually um, contribute to it is really really awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's that's super epic. Um, and I'm sure, like over time, probably some some other libraries will also become open sourced. Um, so that's I think that's going to be great for developers to also see how these things work under the hood mm -hmm. um, and maybe even like how they can figure out how it could still be retrofitted to their application mm -hmm. um, if needed for specific, um, I guess, specific components like we, we keep mm -hmm. saying, um, which is really, really nice. And yeah. Um, and then a question that I thought would be um quite exciting um well not really ex i guess not exciting maybe not for you but is that a lot of developers um at least that i know i've worked in like banks and all of those type of places and a lot of the time they we don't really like using um stuff that's not in our well that's not stable let's say mm -hmm. so if it if it doesn't have a stable um like tag next mm -hmm. to it like it's pretty much not allowed to be used mm -hmm. um and I think I think a few things like something, let's say, like data store, which is like really really cool, uh, mm -hmm. but pretty much can't use it because if it's not stable, um, then then pretty much it's like out of the mm -hmm. question. So how do how do I mean how does how do developers kind of like 
circumvent that like fear or at least try to convince i guess their product owners um in order for them to be like hey or develop or engineering managers to be like hey we can use this it, it feels pretty good um mm-hmm. in terms of um like its stability um how do we kind of get around that um Actually, that's a hard question to answer. Maybe I can say a little bit about what, uh, you know, like alpha, beta and stable mean for us. And then, yeah. Yeah, um, that's perfect. Yeah. So when we launch something in alpha, it means that, hey, we have a new version of uh, of this library. We have some new APIs. So, I know, check them out. Or maybe we have some bug fixes. Um so whether you should or not use uh, a library that's in alpha, that actually might depend on what is in that alpha. So for example, I don't know, do you, if we're talking about a library like, like room, uh, that's already been stable for a while. And then, uh, now it's just like, like yet another alpha. Uh, what's there that's new? Is it just a bug, some bug fixes that are new? Then if yes, then yeah, then you should just continue using it. If, uh, there are some new features that you also need to use in your application, that's maybe where I wouldn't maybe use the first alpha. I wouldn't maybe use in production. But uh, the reason why we have these libraries in alpha is because we want feedback. Um, and I know like sometimes it it sometimes feels like a chicken and egg problem. Like we <laughs> want to get to stable, but we need feedback. And developers aren't giving us feedback because they're not using it because they're waiting for it to be stable. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. For us, like as I said, like feedback is really important. I think an example is uh, with the paging library. I think uh, the paging 3.0 has been in stable. Uh, sorry, it has been in alpha for quite a while now. Um, well, until last week. Uh, but that's because we were uh, getting feedback, and we were getting really good feedback that allow us to. At first, we shaped, we changed some APIs, but now we were like the last few releases. There were just uh, um, bug fixes or things that we consider okay. We don't want to have uh, this bug in for the stable release we want to fix it um and then only afterwards we like last i think last week with the last release was moved to to beta indeed when it comes to a library like data store which is like also in in the first alpha um i would definitely try it out and just to see okay how does it work to to give that feedback that we need. Um, and then I think start adopting it once it's in beta. So for us, beta means like it's really close to be uh, to be published. I think usually there are only something like two or three cycles of releases, depending on what's planned to be fixed in, uh, in beta. But definitely in beta, there are no API changes. Um, and then I think there's like one or two release, releases of RC. And then there's stable. But I would say as soon as an API is in beta, for me, it's, it's pretty much ready to be used. Uh, but yeah, keep in okay. mind what has actually changed uh, once it's in alpha. I think that that depends a lot from library to library. Okay. So yeah, I think I think maybe just understanding that, that alpha beta um, situation where pretty much when it's in beta, there's no real big API changes that are going yeah, to be going yeah. in. It's more just exactly. uh, fixes um, towards it, um, towards getting it to stable versus mm-hmm. like in alpha, anything could happen um, at that specific point. But generally, mm-hmm. probably not too much um, yeah. could, is going to go too crazy. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and give us feedback. That I think feedback helps everyone. Uh, it helps the community uh, have a better library in the end. 
Uh, and I know that uh, the, the engineering team is really trying to also decrease the, the alpha cycle. Uh, but, you know, it's not easy because we want to make sure that the APIs that we're building are as uh, as stable as possible. Yeah, I, th- I think at the end of the day, it's only it's only giving at least us developers um, a better a better a library out there at the end. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess people should give feedback um, and they should try it out. I always try it out. I, I, I can't say that for, for work. I would try mm-hmm. alpha stuff. Um, but if it's a side project, definitely. I'm always mm-hmm. trying out the, the latest stuff to see mm-hmm. um, how it works and how it could obviously advance a specific application. And obviously, once it becomes stable, it helps mm-hmm. um, to maybe convince other people, um, maybe within your team or mm-hmm. within your organization, to yeah. want to use a specific thing because you know it could make a specific situation a lot better within your application. Yeah, what I know that uh, some developer teams are doing, they just, you know, like in, in their I don't know, two weeks uh, uh, roadmap, they just have like, I don't know, a spike to investigate, okay, can we add paging, for example, or can we add Hilt to our application and what would that mean? Uh, and even if, you know, the result is that we're not going to add it, then that's usually the kind of feedback that we want to know about, like, why, why not? You know, like, did you find an issue? Is it what's actually hard with it? Um, and that that helps us. And hopefully the result of that is mostly, yes, we added it to our app. But uh, yeah, I think these kind of like investigation uh, tasks are really important. Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, it can obviously also decrease people's, I guess, tech debt um, along mm-hmm. the way. Also um, having these specific um, libraries, maybe you had your own implementation of paging that yeah. was, I don't know, hacked together um, for, I don't know, for the last five years. And then you're like, okay, cool. Maybe we should just kind of use paging three. We're mm-hmm. already using coroutines and we could just kind of like plug it in and hopefully it kind of just works perfectly with all of our recycler views and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, cool. And then uh, something that I think is probably going to be on a lot of developers' minds going forward is Jetpack Compose yes. and how Jetpack Compose and um, architecture components kind of glue mm-hmm. themselves together. Um, will will view model just work out of the box with um, with architecture compose? I mean, with Jetpack composes like state and all of those type of things. Like, how 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 is that all just gonna like fit together? And obviously, I think that's what everybody's hoping for for the glue to just be like two Lego blocks and we just put them together and they just work. So it's not that it will work; it already does. Uh, so awesome. for compose, <laughs> we actually have. Uh, five or six, six samples, I think, um, right now. And several of them use view models as well. Um, so you can use view models in, in different ways. Uh, I think what's important to remember with the view model is that the view model is still related to a certain scope. So it's either an activity or a fragment scope or a navigation, uh, a navigation controller scope. So, um, Sorry, navigation scope. So this means that you can kind of like tie it to a composable or a screen that you're building with Compose if you're using navigation. Um, then something like um, uh, live data also works in uh, in Compose because you're able to observe a live data as state. So this means that if you're I don't know, in your um, views world, you would have a view model that would expose. Uh, 
your UI model as a data class inside the live data, then exactly that can be used with Compose. Just that instead of, you know, all of that observe and so on and all of the settings that you would do on, I don't know, on your find view by ID and so on, you would uh, just use uh, live data observe at state and then you would pass in in each composable that piece of information that is needed in order to construct that composable. Uh, similarly, uh, so I said the navigation view model, live data, they already work with uh, Compose, uh, but I know that uh, I think Health will also work. I didn't work with, with it in the samples that I've built, but I know that uh, um, it's planned to work. Uh, and then paging there's a paging and compose uh, artifact as well so yeah it's definitely i think without this seamless interop between you know what you already have in your app and you're already using and compose things can't move forward so this is really important for us yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think that's awesome. Like that's, that's really, really awesome because I think a lot of people are going to want to adopt a compose since it can like be put in like your application. Like if you have an application mm -hmm. right now, you could pretty much write compose views. Um, and if you're having like, let's say you have architecture components, like a view model and you have room and, um, and you have live data in your application and this is kind mm -hmm. of the approach that you're taking, um, you kind of want it to almost just be able to like plug in with Compose. And that's mm -hmm. really, really awesome that that was kind of the approach that was taken to, to make sure that, um, going forward for, for developers, it kind of just like gives developers that confidence to be like, Hey, um, Compose is not going to be as scary to integrate into your yeah. application as it seems. Um, so I think, I think that's really awesome. Um, taking that approach. Um, I guess everybody's going to be really, really happy about that. Um, I definitely will. Um, I've tried composed a little bit. Um, again, not in a production application until yeah. it's out mm -hmm. of alpha. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, <laughs> but I mean, I guess in the future when, when it does come, um, I think it's going to be, um, really, really epic. Um, so happy, happy that it's kind of just plug and play almost. Um, already with um, with architecture components. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's something that I really like. Uh, I would say also check out the like the samples and the collabs that we have on Compose because um, there you already see you will already see some of these integrations. Uh, but then speaking specifically about migration, I know that uh, two of my colleagues, Chris Baines and uh, Manuel Vivo, did a talk, I think, at one DroidCon event around uh, migrating to Compose and then all of this interop. And it also they also show um, how to go from like, OK, I have an activity that's only using uh, uh, views in XML, how to start migrating and using Compose. And I know that uh, Sunflower is one of our samples that is also using Compose, so you can see also that migration step. Uh, I think in general for everything, in terms of architecture components, I would also recommend our samples and collabs. Like, uh, I don't know, for, for Hill, like I've learned a lot doing uh, the collab that uh, Manuel Vivo, my colleague, wrote on Hilt, and it's really, it's really useful and similar. I think we kind of have collabs and samples for pretty much everything. And yeah, and in general, like both architecture components and specifically with Compose now that it's coming, uh, that, uh, I know it's in alpha, um, then let us know, tell us what's not working, uh, tell us what's also what's missing in documentation, what's confusing. Um, yeah, 
tell us, <laughs> give us feedback. <laughs> we want we want to help you. Or the role of uh, of our team of the developer relations team is to help developers. So tell us what you need so we can uh, help you. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely link um, the code labs, the collabs, um, and the um, the documentation and everything, even the samples um, in the show notes, because I think it's it's pretty pretty valuable. Um, I definitely have gone through the um, some of the samples there, um, and especially on the compose side, and they they're really really great. Um, so thanks for creating those. Um, and and yeah, I think I think from a from a point of view um, of learning, I think where once you kind of see everything working together within some kind of like full on mm-hmm. application that you can run, and you're not just looking always at the docs. Um, I think it makes it a lot easier for you to under for people to understand um, yes. how all of these things actually like um, come together at the end mm-hmm. also, um, yeah. which makes it really, really fun. I think nothing beats practical, you know, like hands-on work. Uh, and I think especially with with Compose, where, you know, it's a bit of a different mental model, because uh, you were also mentioning around like handling state and how things get updated. Um, I know like for me, at least when I was just like reading or watching the, the talks about it, felt like, oh. Oh, okay. But then actually doing something hands on that, that changes things and it allows, you know, is that, you know, click moment, um, that allows you to yeah. better understand how things are happening or how they're not happening because the mental model is different. So I don't know. I would say also try it out. I don't know. Do a small application or I don't know, a weather app or something and then, uh, <laughs> uh play around with compose. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely encourage um, people to try it out. Um, I think it's probably going to be um, the future of Android UI. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, people, you still got to know your, your XML. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, um, if you're going to be building new views in the future, um, I think Compose is probably going to be the, the approach that a lot of people are going to want to take um, just because <laughs> it makes it a lot more fun, actually, to make um, UI. Um, in my opinion, of course. Um, but yeah, and faster. I, I, really, I hope I really faster like as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely faster. Um, yeah, because you don't have to write like three languages now, or like you're like in XML and you're like I don't know, I don't know, you, all, all these files. Now you just write mm-hmm. everything in Kotlin, and everything is yes. just amazing. Um, so that's really cool. Um, and I mean, you've been mentioning Hilt, and we haven't even been talking about Hilt. Um, this is this is also something that was also very surprising for me. Um, I think I think definitely Dagger has been one of those um, libraries that has been pretty complicated um, for a lot of developers. I think um, people kind of know the basics on how to get it up and running, but as soon as it, as soon as you kind of like start digging a little bit deep, it gets it can get a little bit confusing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think with with Hilt coming out, like I think this. With just having these like annotations that you kind of just put on top of your classes and it just does all the magic for you. Yes. Um, this has been something that really, really is probably going to help a lot of developers um, with dependency injection um, going forward um, so that they don't have to jump into that um, the big bad dagger, um, as I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm definitely not an expert in, in health, but I played around with it a bit. And yeah, I have to admit I was like, 
oh, I just add this annotation. Okay. And then it just injects the view model. Okay. And now actually, um, health also supports assisted injection. So I don't know if in the view model, you need to pass a parameter that comes from, I don't know, from an extra, um, in your activity, then it's easy to do that as well. And it's like, oh, this just works. Okay. Okay, that's cool. So yeah, um, I, I really like it as well. And I know what you mean. Like, I think with Dagger, I was always the person that would, you know, like copy whatever was done in another place. Because I don't know, I couldn't yeah, fully definitely. understand what it was. Yeah, but like, yeah, for me, at least Hilt made it easier. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's again it comes down to um, that developer feedback, also just listening to um, what could make um, developers' lives a lot easier going <laughs> forward. Um, so I think I think I think that's a, another great um, component um, that has been added to the collection. Um, I guess of Jetpack compose. Well, I know compose Jetpack libraries. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think I think there's uh, the only others that we probably haven't mentioned. The other one that we haven't mentioned is probably Work Manager, um, mm -hmm. and we haven't spoken about navigation. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on those um, and what to, um, how developers <laughs> how mm -hmm. developers can use that maybe in their applications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, um, with Work Manager, actually one question that uh, I we get uh, quite often is you know developers don't really understand what's the difference between work manager and coroutines um, or work manager and RxJava. And in the end, the, the biggest difference is that work manager allows you to execute work even if uh, your application is, is closed. So I don't know, let's say that you want a task to ensure that, I don't know, it's done, that maybe, or you want a periodic task, you want every 24 hours to upload some data to your backend or download some data. That's not something that you'd be able to do with uh, just with coroutines, but rather you would do it with work manager together with coroutines. Yeah, um, actually, um, an another good source of, I don't know, learning about these libraries is the, the math skills series that we have currently. So I think we started, uh, I think the first, uh, uh, first series was on navigation. And now we're trying to go over different libraries. Uh, I know we, uh, I think right now we're talking about uh, motion layout and constraint layout, but uh, work manager is also on the roadmap, like really coming up really soon. Um, so I would say to, to stay tuned because uh, there we're able to get uh, much deeper in, well, pretty much in different aspects of, of each library. Um, so for example, I, I covered uh, the Kotlin support for different libraries and uh, there I was also showing how things work under the hood because I don't know about you, but like I'm curious, okay, how did they manage to do this uh, to work like that? Yeah. And, you know, like having a sneak peek of, uh, of what's going on, I, I found it interesting. Um, so yeah, um, I would say Stay tuned for uh, for the future math skills series because we have big plans for you know a lot of the libraries that we have in uh, Jetpack. Okay, yeah, awesome. <laughs> because I know that definitely from my side that uh, if you had to try and do something um, back in the days again, um, I feel like I'm so old, like in terms of Android. But like um, when when you wanted to do something where while the application was closed, you had to like write these services, yeah. and have these broadcast receivers, um, and then they made it. You um, you know, the team made it better 
by by kind of making jobs. I think it was job schedulers, mm-hmm. exactly, um, which made it a lot better. But then there was a restriction on on the API that you had to use um, as a minimum SDK, and then eventually, um, I think now that it's it's kind of gotten to a point where it's literally. Um, where at, I guess this is kind of the roadmap to the, the end product, which was um, Work Manager, which pretty much does mm-hmm. all of this for you. This is exactly kind of what we wanted at the end. Right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, again, I guess I guess that's where um, the feedback cycle comes in, where mm-hmm. um, I guess everybody knew that um, it wasn't so problem. great working with mm-hmm. services, <laughs> services yeah, and yeah. service intent. Um, and then all of a sudden now we have, um, now we have this really, really awesome library. And I think, I think, um, work manager doesn't get as much love as the others. Um, I think it's one of the ones that I really enjoy, um, either using or even just, um, or even just, um, kind of like seeing the, it's, it's kind of development. Um, because I guess it's not a, it's not a, um, an everyday, an everyday usage, when yeah. it comes to um, and every application, not every application that will have its uses for work manager, but I definitely think it's a really, really cool library. And when people do actually use it, they'll see um, maybe how crazy it used to be if they've ever been down that road and how easy it is to use right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, and then sometimes I wonder whether, like also looking at some of the apps that I built, and I wonder, was it like maybe there were some edge cases that we weren't really handling and that maybe, oh, wait, if the user closed the app at that time, would that data really be saved? Uh, so <laughs> and then sometimes I wonder maybe that would have been a good point to use Work Manager or well, services at that time. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe even thinking a little bit about the things that you do in the background for your app and see whether they would actually benefit for uh, from Work Manager. No, definitely. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we've kind of discussed a lot of things um, today. Um, I don't know if there's anything else um, for us to talk about. I mean, we probably could talk for hours still um, on all of these topics because everything goes in so much depth. Um, yeah. But if there's, is there something that you um, feel that we didn't mention that um, that the, the listeners should kind of know about? Um, I would say check out the Jetpack documentation. Uh, so there we have a list of, uh, like, you're able to explore all, all of the libraries that are in Jetpack. And I think it's easier to see, okay, for my use case where, I know, I need to implement a new use case or I see that I'm doing some really complicated stuff that I don't really like, is there a library that's already out there uh, that can help me with this? Um, so definitely, I would say, check out the um, the Jetpack. I think it's the Jetpack landing page, d.android.com slash Jetpack, um, to see what we have there. And yeah, try out Kotlin. I would say if you're not already using it in your application, I think it makes things, you know, so much easier and cleaner. And I know using coroutines makes uh, doing asynchronous uh, work so much easier. And yeah, um, try our things. Give us feedback. We want to help you. That's all I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely. I'll definitely um, link link some stuff below for people to get started. 
Um, and if they, if people do want to give feedback, um, where, where's the best place to give feedback? Yeah, so we have an official issue tracker. Um, so there you can just look for a specific library and then you can just create an issue there. Uh, I think that's the best because that's the best place where uh, also engineers look at that as the, you know, the source of truth for us. Um, and yeah, uh, and then for even more for every library in the release page, there's also a link to the issue tracker in case you it's not that easy to find. Uh, but yeah. Issue tracker. Okay, or, cool. I'll I don't know if there's link. if there's anything else specific, feel free to you know at me on uh, Twitter. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely link the issue tracker also. <laughs> um, if anybody does have any bugs or um, advice or feedback that they want to give um, mm -hmm. about anything um, to do with, I guess Android in general. Um, not just yeah. Um, uh, yeah, not just um, architecture components. Um, they'll be able to 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 give feedback there. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, Florina, for joining me today. This has been really really awesome, and I've learned um, quite a few things, and I hope everybody else has learned um, quite a lot out there. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I hope so I don't too. Know Thank if you. you. Have any final words? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me, PJ, and then for letting me talk about the things that I really like. Uh, so it's like I don't know. You picked my favorite topics ever. So yeah. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, yeah. Have a great evening, and yeah, we'll chat soon. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Talking with Apple's podcast. Cheers.